Welcome to the weekly service message from the Crossbridge Church. Look for us on the web at www.crossbridgeny.org. Join us now as Pastor Nate Young delivers this week's message. Uh, Go ahead and open your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be one in the seat in front of you. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, that is yours to keep. Take it home, uh, make use of it. But uh, go ahead and open your Bibles up to 1 John. Uh, We're going to be spending the next several weeks in 1 John. Today is more of an introductory uh, to the particular book that will set the stage for how the rest of the series will unfold. Uh, Before we we get into that, let me just say to you, uh, to kind of set the stage, hopefully, for what's, what's happening here and what I hope to relate to you. Um, if, if you don't know, um, my wife and I have four children. Uh, our oldest is 17. Our youngest is seven. And one of my greatest joys as a father is to give gifts to my children. Um, in fact, one of the joys inside of that is knowing them well enough to know what gifts they actually want and then be able to give them exactly what they want. And then to watch them open the gift and get so excited to see what's inside. At first, when they receive this gift, they might carry that gift around with them everywhere they go. Uh, They might even take the gift to bed and, and sleep with it. It's something that's precious to them. But a strange thing happens over time. The joy over that gift that once they loved, now that love starts to fade. They don't play with it as much. Maybe it even gets put on the shelf and left. The joy over the gift starts to continually fade. They may, every once in a while, take the gift out and and play with it, but the time is much shorter until finally the gift is forgotten about altogether. Brothers and sisters, if we're not careful, the same thing can happen to our faith. Faith It is a gift from God, our Heavenly Father. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9 tells us this. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. Now, remember this in in your own experience. When you first received the gift of faith, wasn't it the most exciting thing you'd ever experienced in your life? Some would even say that, that you burned with a fire for the gospel. You, you wanted to know more about God. You, you studied His Word. You prayed continually. You would talk with anyone and everyone about the gift that you received. You took your faith with you everywhere you went. But now, over time, people our own sin and the distraction of this world have encouraged us to let our once vibrant faith start to fade. But this is where the Word of God interjects into our lives. First John is a book that helps us to fight the slow fade of faith by encouraging true loving fellowship in Christ. 
It encourages us to fight sin, and it encourages us to make our goal eternal life. These are the three main themes that I think we see fleshed out in the book of 1 John. Just to give you a little bit of background information, uh, 1 John was written by the Apostle John around A.D. 85. It was written to churches around Ephesus who'd become acquainted with Jesus from the Gospel of John written about 10 years earlier. So these believers that John is now writing to in 1 John knew about Jesus Christ from John through John's Gospel. John in 1 John lays out for us the helps and hindrances to our faith. And let me say, throughout the book, he's laying out three potential hindrances to our faith. This is point number one. Here are some dangers that encourage our faith to fade. Some dangers that encourage our faith to fade. Number one, conflicts with other believers. Conflicts with other believers. There's three main verses that I think expose this for us. If you have your Bible open to 1 John, I want to encourage you to look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, oftentimes when we see something in the Scriptures that's telling us to do a certain thing, it, it means that our natural tendency is the opposite of the thing that the Scriptures are telling us to. And the author of 1 John, I believe, is addressing a current issue. He didn't just sit down and write 1 John for fun. But in fact, he's addressing a current issue that is happening in the churches that have become acquainted to Jesus Christ through the gospel of John that he had written. And in this address that he's writing to them, I think there's, there's four types of people that he's essentially addressing in this particular letter. And this may sound like background information, but it's, begun, it's going to become very important for our understanding of 1 John. So there are four types of believers, or four types of people that I think John is addressing in this, this letter. The first is Jewish Christians. These are people who become acquainted with the gospel, who were Jewish in background, but they come to know, or to some degree, know Jesus Christ. But they still feel a very heavy loyalty to the law, to Judaism. They're all about obeying the law. John seems to confirm this in 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. He says, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Maybe in this day and age, what we would refer to someone who falls into this category is someone who is a legalist. They love obeying the rules but they don't necessarily love the God of the rules or the people of God. 
That's a legalist. That's category number one. Category number two is what would be referred to as Hellenistic Christians. They, they come from pagan backgrounds. If you're familiar with the term Gnosticism, they would fall in this category. What is interesting about these particular folks is that they love the idea of being spiritual, but they didn't want to have anything to do with obeying the commands of God. They would say they love God and they love the Spirit of God, but in the, in the command to love people, they don't want anything to do with that. He seems to address them in 1 John chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. He says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. I think this is specifically targeted at these folks who love the idea of loving God, but don't want to obey the rules or have anything to do with the people of God. We've got the legalist, the one who does not love. And now the third category I think he's addressing is what we would often refer to just as heretics. But there is something very scary that happens in 1 John that, that should be a wake-up call to us in that these heretics were not people outside of the church, but they were people in the church who were spreading false doctrine amongst the church. In fact, he calls these folks anti-Christs. I think he addresses those in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. He says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know it is the last hour. They went out from us. Get that. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. Brothers and sisters, that means that those who follow the thinking and the spirit of the Antichrist don't come from outside of the church, but come from inside. But then there's the fourth category. We've got the legalist, the one who lacks love, the heretic, the antichrist, but then we have true believers who received and believed the message. I think one of the points of 1 John is to provide incredible clarity for those of us who might have seen the lives of quote-unquote Christians that don't match with the Scriptures. It, it can be very confusing as your faith grows to see someone who appears to be a godly man or woman, but then doesn't act like it. And John is cutting through all of that to say, this is what a true believer looks like. Do not be confused by those who say they're in the church, but don't act like they're in the church. For those who say that they love God, but they don't love God. They say they love the Word of God, but they don't love the God of the Word. 
And John is going to cut through all of that to say, be encouraged, brothers and sisters, true followers of Jesus Christ. This is the message of the gospel, and this is what it looks like lived in the life of the believer. Now, one of the things that's very important in understanding these particular issues, but also understanding that it's very likely that these believers knew the gospel through the gospel of John. One of the ways that we can make that connection is by themes that came from the gospel of John that are now repeated in 1 John. Two of those themes are this. One, the church is called to unity in the gospel. This is a common theme throughout 1 John, but if you go back to the gospel of John, you'll see this in John 17, verse 11. Jesus says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as I am one. John is already saying in his gospel, there's going to be temptation to be divided over particular issues. Do not let that happen, brothers and sisters. Stay united in the gospel. Very similar to that is the call to mutual love in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Sounds very familiar to some that we've already read here. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. These groups are marked by differences in what they believe about God and what he has called them to do. And so let me say it this way to you. Let me suggest that oftentimes when we experience interpersonal conflict, conflict with others in the church, that those are actually much deeper than a conflict of personalities. That in the church, there may be someone that you don't like because of the way that they talk or the way that they look or certain things that they've done in their life that are inconsequential to the gospel. And we might just say, well, I don't like that person because they like, well, so they're a Mets fan, I'm a Yankees fan, I don't like them. Or, or they might say or do something that, that you get offended by that is not paramount on the gospel, and you say, well, that's just a difference of personalities. I don't like them. But what is happening there is, in fact, a reflection of areas in our beliefs about God that are incorrect or deficient. Because if Christ has called us to unity in Him, and He's called us in unity together around Jesus Christ, there shouldn't be some sort of issue that divides us that we aren't willing to work through for the sake of the gospel for the sake of Jesus Christ. Let me try to make it even more succinct. If you have no love for another Christian, a true Christian, that may mean you are not a believer. The second category, the second themes that John gives for us, first is categories of people and interpersonal conflict that may encourage our faith to fade over time. The second area, I believe, is a lack of victory over sin. I think this is 
worked out for us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. There's a clear command that we are not to sin. But if we're honest with each other, in the life of a believer, we find ourselves caught between two worlds when it comes to sin. The Bible tells us that at one time, before we were saved, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And sin, we were completely given over to our sin. All we wanted was to sin. But now in Jesus Christ, we've been made alive and given a new nature. We were changed at the very core of who we are. We've been moved from sinner to saint. Our inner person has been completely changed. But our outer person is still the same. Our flesh is still under the curse of sin and is still tempted to sin. Before we were saved, we would give in to sin, and we were powerless to resist sin because we were sinners by nature. That is who we were. But now in Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, we can fight sin. We no longer have to give in to sin. But because of our flesh, we're still tempted to sin. And we're going to still be tempted to sin until we die or Christ returns and our salvation is completed. And it's completed when we receive our glorified bodies and our flesh is changed as well. We'll have perfect bodies that are no longer tempted to, be, to, tempted to sin. But until that time comes, the Christian will find themselves in a battle against the temptation to sin. And I, I want to speak to two main categories this morning on this topic of sin. The first category we see with this struggle is for those of us who are in a battle for sin, against sin that has troubled us for some time. And usually what happens is we go back and forth, winning and losing this battle against a specific sin. And we start to feel like we're never going to have victory over that sin. The second category that, that I want to address is those who are tempted to sin right now but haven't given in yet. And the temptation to sin seems greater than your faith to overcome it. I think sometimes this one is so pervasive because we like to think that our sin is just something that we fall into. But the reality is our sin is very premeditated. We say things like, well, I, I just fell into sin again as if it was an accident and we, we tripped and fell into it. But the truth is we, we think and we plan on how to commit the sin we desire, all the while neglecting to realize that we have encouraged our faith to fade. Let me suggest to you again that oftentimes what we believe are just little trips into sin are actually much deeper than just a little trip and fall, but are in fact a reflection of areas in our beliefs about God that are incorrect or deficient. Let me say it again as plainly as I possibly can. If you have no victory over sin, that may mean 
you are not a believer. First, we have interpersonal conflict. Then we have war with our own sin. The last category that I think can often encourage our faith to fade is the distraction of temporal things. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, I think, speaks to this. I write to you these things, or I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. But what happens in our time here on earth is that we're, we're tempted to get enamored with the things of this world. And let me suggest to you, too, that there may be two categories that we find here that are often the most pervasive or, or even in some cases difficult to, fall about, to uh, talk about. The two categories are this. Love of worldly stuff and the experience of tragedy. The problem with the first category is that it can actually look like you're doing the right thing and pursuing what God has called you to. Especially for us as men, it's right and good for us to work hard to provide for our families and to give them what they need to, to thrive. That's right and good. The problem is when we start to love the gift of God's physical provision in our lives more than the gift, the God who gives us the gift of faith. Worldly stuff starts to become more important to us than doing what God calls us to do. In the life of the believer, we see this take a shape in a few ways. They personally stop reading the Bible and they start praying less and less. They don't study Scripture or pray with their family, and they start to slowly fade in their commitment to the local church. What ultimately is happening is we're exchanging the brightness of our faith for the dull and dark things of this world. The second category that I mentioned is the experience of tragedy. And this is a hard one. Tragedy is typically something that happens to us that brings us to our knees. It's devastating. And it's normally not something that we did to ourselves, but something that happens to us. And it's so overwhelming that it's hard to get our minds to focus on anything else except this thing that is happening to us. And if we're not careful in both of these situations, the main issue is that we'll begin to identify ourselves with either the tragedy we've experienced or the pleasures of this world. Wealth and tragedy are so powerful that they can capture our very inner being and encourage us to adopt those things as who we are. Let me suggest to you that oftentimes what we believe are good things or terrible things are actually much deeper than good or bad, but in fact a reflection of areas in our beliefs about God that are incorrect or deficient. Let me say it again this as succinctly as I can. No love of eternal things may mean that you're not a believer. Do you feel the weight of this? Many of us fall in one of these three categories right now. 
We may be embroiled in a conflict with someone in the church. You may be battling with sin. You may be struggling with the things of this world, whether they be monetary or just tragedy. It's heavy. But I am so thankful that God speaks through his word directly into our lives. The experience of these things, the struggles with these things is not the end of the story, but just the beginning for those of us who are in Jesus Christ. You see, John doesn't just paint a bleak picture without offering a solution to fight these dangers. John's going to lay out for us as we unpack over the next several weeks, the solution to fight the dangers of allowing personal conflict in the church to allow sin or to allow being enamored with the things of the world to encourage our faith to fade. Instead, he's going to fuel our faith with the fire of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the first things that he does in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, is that he encourages us to have an exaltation of Christ that initiates loving fellowship with him and other Christians. The, the foundation for the fellowship of Christians in the church is our fellowship with Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, if you know the life-changing, life-saving nature of the gospel, you have fellowship with Jesus Christ. And that fellowship with Jesus Christ allows us as his children to have a type of fellowship that is only for believers in Jesus Christ. Only you and I can have true fellowship in the sense that Christ is the one who mediates the relationship between him and between us to allow us to love each other even when it's difficult. And when I start thinking about another believer in such a way that is not consistent with the love that is proclaimed in the Gospels, I need to turn my eyes back to Jesus Christ and see the love and fellowship that he initiated with me, not because I deserved it, not because I earned it, but because he loved me, and in that same way choose to love my brother and sister in Jesus Christ. Friends, the gospel through the power of the Spirit gives us the ability to do this. I've said this time and time again. This is one of the key areas that sets us apart from the world. That you and I love each other in such a way that the world can't understand. They can't understand why you and I would gather on a weekly basis to sing and pray and encourage and hear the word taught and build each other up. They don't understand it. And they don't understand it because they don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our fellowship with Jesus Christ makes fellowship with other Christians not just possible, but plausible. Our love for Christ should cause a natural outflowing of love for each other. And when there's conflict in the church of Christ, on the power of the gospel, those issues have to be worked through. We would choose to love each other because of Jesus Christ. 
in addressing this issue of particular sins that we may be struggling with, John, in his uh, first letter, encourages us to have such an exaltation of Christ that invigorates our fight against sin. And some of you need to hear this today. Whether you're in the midst of a fight against sin or you're tempted to sin even today, know that Jesus Christ empowers you to fight it. We must see the glorious nature of Christ and engage in the fight against sin. We must take up the armor of God and get back in the fight. And there's this beautiful picture that's going to be painted for us that as our fellowship in Christ leads us to fellowship with each other, that the fight against sin isn't something we never do alone. That we join arm in arm and we help each other fight against sin in our own lives. And when the things of this world encourage us to have them as our identity, whether it be prosperity or tragedy. We must exalt Christ in such a way that inspires us to live for eternity. Brothers and sisters, let these words resonate in your heart and mind. I write these things to you, 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Friends, brothers and sisters, this should radically impact the way we live and the decisions we're going to make and what we live for. If I am living for eternity, knowing that my eternity is secure, I can live in such a way that exalts Christ, even if it costs me my life. Because my eternity is secure in Jesus Christ. But here's the other side of this. Friend, if you are here and you don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you have not experienced the forgiveness that comes in Christ alone, your eternity at this moment is secure as well, and it's not heaven. Your eternity, when you die, will be to spend eternity in hell, receiving the just punishment for your sin. But Jesus Christ, in his perfect life, his perfect death, and his resurrection, has made a way that we can be forgiven of our sins. The scriptures say that if we call out to him in repentance, meaning that we confess that we are sinners, that we have broken his law, that we have sinned against him, that he will forgive us and that he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when the day of your death comes and you stand before the throne room of heaven and give an account for your life, Jesus Christ will stand before the throne on your behalf. I want to encourage you, friends, to do two things over the next couple of weeks. I want to challenge you to read 1 John every day. It only takes 20 minutes. Read it every day. 
And I want to encourage you to memorize these three passages that I've laid out for you. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, and 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I think those are the three key verses that unlock the purpose for the rest of the book. We're going to spend the next several weeks in this particular book of the Bible. By the time the study is over, I want to challenge you to have all three of them memorized. But I also want to challenge you today as we close, brothers and sisters, that the gospel of Jesus Christ transcends personal conflict in the church. It transcends our struggle with sin, and it transcends finding your identity in this world. But to encourage the effectiveness of the word in your life, you need to think about your life. You need to think about where you are the most tempted at this moment or where you're struggling at this moment and begin to ask the Lord to bring about a change in your heart so that as you move forward in whatever circumstance it is that you're battling with, that you would do it in such a way that Christ is glorified through it. There's, there is one overarching theme that runs through this entire book, and let me suggest to you that it's one overarching theme that runs through the entire Bible, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is worth us in the power of the gospel working through any conflicts that we might have. Jesus Christ is worth engaging in the battle of sin, and Jesus Christ is worth living this life for eternity. He's worth it. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer and, and ask Him to help us see Him high and lifted up. Will you stand uh, and pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful that you did not create us and then leave us alone to figure things out. Instead, you have given us your holy, perfect word that instructs us and teaches us and reproves us as we need it. And so today we're asking that you would allow your words from your word to pierce our hearts and minds. That if there is some wicked way in us, that you would reveal it to us so that we can begin this fight against sin. Lord, for those who are here today who are battling against difficulty in their life, against tragedy, against hard circumstances that they did not bring upon themselves, I pray today that they would know the comfort of your gospel. That this understanding that you, through the power of your Spirit, can enable us to endure anything would, would comfort them and strengthen them today. That the experiences that we have in this life, although they can be very formative, they're not forever. And that the pain that we're feeling now, the difficulty that we're feeling now, 
will one day be washed away in the glorious arrival of Jesus Christ. But Lord, as a church, I'm asking that you would help us. Help us to love you so much that we would choose to love each other in such a way that the gospel is on display to the lost and dying world around us. That they would see in us a complete love for you that overflows into our brothers and sisters. Lord, may we take this study of 1 John seriously. Lord, help us to be disciplined, to study your word, to pray over your word, and to live your word. Lord, help us to be the Christians that you've called us to be. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please feel free to share this message, but remember, don't charge for it or change it. The Lord's message should be free and for everyone.